She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Live, Love, Thrive Women's Empowerment Hour. We're so happy you're joining us today, and we're so happy to have our special guest, who is our creative director and social strategist for She Angels, which is 360 Karma's Women's Empowerment uh, web series and pitch fest. Uh, and she's going to share with us how she has generated over a billion views, uh, video views that is, online. She's amazing. Please give a welcome to Jenner Deal. Hi, Jenner. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. We're so happy to have you involved with She Angels. Yeah. Um, you have such an incredible career uh, in online videos, uh, generating over a billion Hello, girl. Wow. <laughs> oh, my Thank God. You. Thank and you. that's been with everybody from uh, Business Insider to VidMob to, uh, oh, my God, OMG Facts and Disney and Disney and, and so many. Uh, so I know every there's probably not a person out there, especially business owners, that don't want to know how to <laughs> generate. I mean, the minute I, you know you tell them that you're a video viral specialist, they're like so on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little um, annoying. <laughs> that, like, well, it is a great gift, you know. Totally, but it's that like whole LA question, like, oh, what do you do? And yeah. I'm like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know what it says. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we feel fortunate. And, um, you know, uh, everybody's got a backstory, I always say. And so I, <clears throat> I do want to talk about the video views and how you do that because that's miraculous and something that everybody wants. It's a great gift. We're going to talk about how you learned how to do that and, and how you help other people. Um, but first, your backstory is also incredible. I mean, <laughs> Uh, I know you were you were actually born in California in Chico. Yeah, uh, party some, town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've been there. It's a, it's a cool college town. And then, uh, of course, um, spent you know some of your childhood years in Nevada, but really grew up in Pismo Beach, right, California? Yeah, yeah. Made famous by Clueless, the movie. But, <laughs> yeah, Pismo was. As long as you weren't born clueless, we're okay. I wasn't born clueless, thankfully. <laughs> Definitely not. No. Um, no, Pismo was great. I mean, it's like an hour north of Santa Barbara. It's on the central coast in San Luis Obispo County. And it's like, you know, wineries and agriculture and ocean. And that's about it. I love it. So you yeah. kind of grew up in nature. I did, Yeah. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. I was like, this sucks. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to shop. Um, but part of you is a city girl because you ended up in L.A., obviously, <coughs> um, and spent time in New York, my other favorite city. Yeah, and yeah. I went to university in London. So I've oh, been yeah. in a lot of city. I'm definitely a city girl. Yeah. I go back now, and yeah. I love it. I mean, it's gorgeous. I yeah. can't even believe there's like – a winery two hills over from my high school. Oh wow. <laughs> um that's like stunning, but I I could never live there again. Right. Like I'm such right. a I'm such a yeah. woman around West Hollywood. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you know, and I I'm, I'm the same way. I really can appreciate nature and I love yeah. nature and I think we all need to get in nature to rejuvenate. Yeah. But I'm a city girl. Totally. <laughs> totally. I love the culture. I love the hub. I love the community. I love you know, everything yeah. happening going on. I know, and my mom yeah. is, is a fisherman, and she gardens. Oh, and my she, gosh. She's like, 
you like concrete. <laughs> like, that is true. Bring I on do. the concrete, baby. Yeah, and succulents. <laughs> succulents are fine, but other than that, concrete is great. That's a flower in case anybody didn't know. <laughs> We're not talking dirty. Um, so uh, you have a fascinating childhood story. So uh, you grew up, uh, I'm going to really let you tell the story, but basically around 15 years old, your parents split because you found out your dad was gay. Yeah. Now, his story was that he was he was gay long before you were born, like out and about in L.A. in the 80s. Yeah. And, you know, HIV became very rampant. And you told me he went home back to... Reno. Reno. Yeah. And had told his parents he was gay, and they decided to send him off to... De-gayification. De-gayification in a religious capacity? I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of details around mm. it. It's been, you know, not and de-gayification, really... by the way, to it means shock treatment, right? Shock I'm therapy? Not, I don't know. I, I don't, like, I, I don't have enough details around it, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, it wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, you know, it. It's Didn't just... they just have a movie out about this? Uh, this year, there was some movie about pe these religious people would send their kids to a camp to try to degay their. Yeah, the misunderstanding. Of course, we all know that that is impossible because people are born this way, right? As, as we can attest, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it was like the miss, the miss education of Cameron something. Mm -hmm. um, I saw it this year. It was great. It was at Outfest. And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, any sort of like persuasion to not be gay is like, you know, traumatic but, but <laughs> in itself. But that in itself is traumatic. But the, but the shock therapy, that, that is just to me like barbaric. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know if they did that or if they still do that. Um, so I don't really want to talk about that, but right. I do want to like, like shed light on the fact that, you know, my dad had been living out as a gay man in LA for many years with a very serious partner. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, was very involved in the community, like was, you know, on the gay Methodist board in mm -hmm. Los Angeles um, and to go back home and to have this sort of moment, um, of trying to be straight and then of like trying to like, you know, reconcile, like, you know, being like such a family man and like, and especially like, you know, a mama's boy and wanting to please his parents and wanting to be happy himself, but right. not really knowing that. And then you know, sort of being offered these resources that are like, here, here's how you can be normal and straight. Yeah. I think anybody at the time probably would have mm -hmm. taken that. But, you know, thankfully he, that happened because I wouldn't be here if right. it didn't. But right. And so what happened was the story uh, is that he went back, tried to become straight, uh, put an ad in the paper, met your mom, and they ended up getting married. Yeah. And having you. Yeah. So there is like a good outcome to this story. You're yeah. sitting here. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it def yeah. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't happened. But I think, 
you know, it's important to talk about how like traumatic an oh experience like that can be imagine. and how much it can change like the course of somebody's life, right, you know? Right. Um, so, and then the other really difficult part is that your dad, right before they got married, found out he was HIV positive and then your, uh, they still decide to get married and thank goodness, uh, that wasn't passed on to you, you or your mom. So yeah, that's so, a blessing. Um, my dad came back and he put an ad in the classifieds and my mom Mm -hmm. answered it and they started dating and they decided to get married. And, um, two weeks before their wedding, they got their marriage license blood test results back. And my dad came back syphilis positive, which was a strange thing to come back with, Mm -hmm. um, especially for a marriage license blood test that was, Mm -hmm. you know, confusing because, Syphilis was pretty much, you know, isolated to the gay community. So um, they decided to run some more tests, and this was in 1987, and he came back HIV positive, and they said, you're going to die? Like, there's nothing that we can do. Um, And they said, don't get married, and you probably shouldn't tell anybody either. Um... Because it was such a... Um, it was so stigmatized. Stigmatized, yeah. yeah. And there wasn't enough knowledge around it in mm-hmm. 87 to even know how you were contracting it or mm-hmm. why or, you know. And let's fast forward, <coughs> like, hello, your dad today is alive and well and doing great. So yeah. I want to tell that end of the beautiful story, you know, um, that it does have a good ending. Yeah. Um, and... Neither one of you contracted it, so that was great. Yeah, so they decided to have, to try for me, I think, well, maybe once, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and got pregnant, and I didn't get it, and my mom didn't get it, so it was kind of like a one-in-a-million shot. Wow. Um, so now, fast forward to you're 15 years old, and you figure out that you, too, are gay, and so this is another upheaval within the family right uh I'm sure your mom was surprised I didn't know my I was gay until I knew my dad was gay right my dad came out before I knew I was gay myself right so yeah um so he came out to you when you were around 14 no he came out to my mom in a fight and um and they divorced yeah um but no he he came um, back out of the closet when I was 15. I found out right. about his HIV when I was 14, but mm-hmm. he came back out when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came out when I was 16. I see. Yeah. So first you found out he was gay, and then you realized you were. Yeah, yeah. and it wasn't fun figuring right. that out and right. seeing what was happening at the time right. to my family and to him, like, having repressed his sexuality for so many years, kind of being a teenager again, but having responsibilities and a family and Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, reconciling all of that as well as, like, the fact that I was gay. And I was like, please don't tell me this is true. (laughs) Like, this this can't be right. Like, what has happened to my life? But you you had an attraction to a woman, and that's how you knew? Yeah, I mean, yeah. my first girlfriend I was with for seven and a half years, and we met in high school. We went to college together in London and moved back to L.A., so we were very serious. And I think it was because, you know, we kind of had each other to mm-hmm. figure it all out and kind of, you know, 
band together instead of being alone in that discovery process you know that was a good thing yeah totally um but it was definitely strange you know to kind of be like shit like I'm gay too and then have to yeah you know kind of come to terms with that it actually I it's funny um I I chalk this off all the time because it's a silly show but it was so important to my coming out process like even though it has terrible blown out lighting the l word the first time i saw the l word i like i knew i was going to be fine like right. i knew i could i could be gay the way that i wanted to present to the you know, world you know it's so interesting you say that because uh when I was 40, and I wish I could say that was five years ago, but <laughs> we'll just say that. Uh, no, but uh, I left a corporate job to go help start a gay cable network uh, because I thought, wow, there's two things that are really important for young gay people to feel good about themselves. And one is to see themselves on TV. Yeah. That's so powerful, in a positive light, by the yeah. way. And if you remember, uh, you know, back in the 80s or whatever, there were no gay people on TV. Nobody talked sure. about it. But then, um, like you're saying, the L word and various shows started to come out, and uh, it's just living proof what you just said that that is what made you feel okay to see yourself in a film on a TV show, um, and it's that's why it was so important. So yeah. I left my corporate <coughs> job, a very big paying job, to go start this gay cable network because I thought that is going to be one of the most important things to our our culture and to into the happiness of young people and the other was that they could get married yeah. so that they had that to look forward to and that's why my next project was I can't marry you which was a film on PBS to educate people about why we should be able to get married yeah and I've always uh, you know been an activist and thought that those two things are the most important uh, in in helping people feel like they were okay they were normal this was a you know acceptable and and having uh, the society embrace it and you can see how much has changed totally. since you or I came out to to today. It's well, and even when my dad first came out, and I tell everyone I'm third generation gay in my family, so my um, great uncle is also gay. Um, we call him bisexual Bob, <laughs> but he's not bisexual. He's gay. He's been married to a bisexual woman um, mm-hmm. for like 45 years, and that's how they've managed to survive their queerness, I mm-hmm. guess, in this world. And they're best friends, and they have each other, and now they're much later in life. In their mm-hmm. late 80s, so they're taking care of each other. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like... a a real sense of responsibility to kind of carry that torch that has been kind of running through my family from my dad's uncle to him to me, you mm-hmm. know, and and how, like, you know, the movement itself has changed. I wrote my dissertation in college on that, mm. <laughs> on how the gay movement has evolved in the United States. and And I think, you know, just like with feminism, there's, mm-hmm. like, second wave and third wave feminism and maybe even fourth that we're touching on now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are waves to the LGBTQ movement and the way, like, 
the responsibilities we have around representation have changed a lot. You know, absolutely. Like you know, I was lucky. I came. I was coming out in the time when Ellen first got her TV show back. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> from losing it, I didn't right. experience that right. necessarily. But then I got her like daytime talk show. I was like, great. There's a lesbian on TV. Right. Right. <laughs> I also had Rosie O'Donnell, and around that time, right after I graduated high school, she was on The View. And so it was like all of this attention was on her. So I had these powerful lesbians in the spotlight. It wasn't like I didn't see lesbians on TV, but I didn't see my kind of lesbian on TV. Right. I didn't see me. And I think that that's what social media has, like, really exploded. Right. Is this sense of, like, it's not just about putting queer characters and shows or movies or queer representation like blanket we're not all gay white men right you know we're not yeah. all like well maybe you're not but I know right. <laughs> I am inside um, <laughs> I knew it <laughs> right but you know it's important to have representation like yeah. of all different types of the community absolutely um, because also for in the community we like as a community oftentimes like police each other so much on how each other is like presenting or behaving or acting Just let everybody be themselves yeah yeah good yeah. message and I like your idea of talking about how social media impacts all of this the messaging and whatnot since this is your area of expertise yeah and and I know um you were you were telling me that you know you actually have a degree in something else. You actually kind of self-taught yourself all of this, and when you got really your first uh, job, corporate job uh, working with um, Business Insider, uh, you ended up being in charge of the video online videos. So tell me a little bit about that because that was really what started your career in this viral video space, right? Yeah, I'm. I got a degree in event management and cultural studies. (laughs) I loved the cultural studies. The events was the practical side, and I thought, oh, I could be creative and do this. So I started my career in events, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I um, was in New York, and I had the opportunity to get into video with my girlfriend at the time, and we started a production company together and had some like travel bloggers on retainer that we filmed their lives and made web series out of. And it was right in the, like, the big video boom. Like, everybody was like, oh, my God, we need video, we need video. So, yeah, I taught myself on YouTube how to edit and animate. And um, I had been doing a lot of design from the event side of my career. Mm -hmm. But it was, like, figuring out how to put those elements into motion. Mm when it came to video and understanding how to build a story in a different way. Um, and so when I got to Business Insider, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I've, I haven't done a video, like, by myself. Like, I haven't edited and shot, like, start to finish all the, the whole thing by myself. But they were like, great, do one a day. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. Yeah. We had to do a video a day from start to finish. Oh, my gosh. Um, and if anybody hasn't done their own video, like, that's a lot of work. I mean, in a professional you way. You have to figure out what an idea. Yes. Then you had to write a script. Then you had to film it yes. or find the footage or the assets that you were going to use. 
And then you had to edit it together and animate whatever you needed to animate. Right. And then you had to write all of the copy that you would post it with. Right. On the site, on Business Insider, like when you post something, it's like considered an article basically there. Right, right. And then, um, yeah, and like start to finish by five o'clock. And it was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I like really sucked at it because I was like really good at the design side and like the visuals of the video. Uh Um, But nobody cared about that in like a fast paced environment like that. And um, and they were like, we don't care what it looks like. Just like get us a video that's factually accurate and like get it out. And that was the name of the game. And I'd never been in journalism before. So I was sitting in a newsroom with people that knew how to frame headlines and choose the right thumbnail that would get their article they had clicked on. And I had no idea how to do that. Um, So the discovery process for me of people finding my videos on the website was terrible. And I wasn't hitting my goals um, for views. And what was the the turning point? So Facebook video started. Facebook basically was like, look to YouTube, RIP. Like, (laughs) we're going to take you down and we're going to launch our own video product and be seen as like the site where you go to watch video. And um, it was really in the early days. And Business Insider had a lot of different verticals. And they saw that Lifestyle was really doing well on social. So they had this spinoff property called Insider, which now is the parent brand. Um, and But at the time, they were only on Facebook and they were only making videos. They weren't writing articles. They weren't doing anything else. And they just nailed it. They figured out how to do it. And so the Business Insider was like, oh my God, get all of our videos and upload them up to Facebook because we're the parent brand and we look ridiculous. Like they're getting hundreds of millions of views and we have like nothing, you know? So they were uploading every producer's video to Facebook and every time they would upload it, um, mine would go viral. Mine wow. were like the only ones that would go viral. Like, and they were they didn't know why. So they said like, okay, stop producing for the site, like, do whatever you want, you don't have to get approval, you can create whatever style, because I was always going rogue and not using their fonts, and like, you know, (laughs) we're like, we don't care what you do, just get our views up, like, you can sit in on insiders' meetings, you can talk to them. And at the time, did you know what it was that was making it go crazy, or? No, I was just like, I just knew my videos were pretty. You yeah. know, yeah. I just knew they were pretty. Yeah. Um, but then I started sitting in every day, twice a day, actually, on um, pitch meetings with Insider to figure out, like, why were they choosing certain stories? How were they finding things? Um, how were they framing it? Like, what were they choosing as the first shot in the video and why? Mm-hmm. And I quickly discovered that it was because of autoplay. And... Wow. When you go to a website like Business Insider, you have to scroll through like headlines and pictures, thumbnails, to see, you know, oh, I think that article about China trade might be interesting. Okay, I'm going to click on that. Right. Um, And I didn't have that 
like knack. I didn't know how to make a clickbait headline or anything like that, you know, which is what Business Insider was known for at the right, time. Right. Um, but I knew how to make a beautiful video. And when it started automatically in somebody's feed, they wanted to watch it. Right. They stopped to watch so it. So that grabbed them. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you still, because we're going to be wrapping up, do you still utilize that same approach today on um, the videos you do? Is it all about visuals and it, your area of expertise is the videos on Facebook? Well, I, I'll finish with this. I will say, like, I have a degree in cultural studies, and I didn't think that I would ever be able to use it. But really what a degree in cultural studies is is a degree in power. It's understanding how power works and how it's disseminated and how it's secured and maintained. Oh, and, fascinating. Um, and that all that's what social media is. Oh. It's all about power, and it's all about utilizing those platforms and utilizing tricks to gain that power over people, and and a lot of that requires psychology, just like it would if you were in the FBI or the CIA right, <laughs> or right. the government or politics. You right. know, it requires a an understanding of why people want to watch and share what you're putting out versus right. whatever it is. Because it could be the the stupidest thing, the blurriest shot. It could be yeah. the most unproduced thing. It my my most viral video to date is about a hot tub hammock. It got fifty two million views. Oh my god! And and it, it started with somebody jumping into a hammock that was filled with water, and it splashes out, and it says. This is a hot tub hammock. <laughs> and it just got to the point and it was like so universal. And, you know, I think it's all about just understanding like, you know, what would prohibit somebody from sharing that video? Not a lot. Right. You know, like what would make somebody want to share that video? A lot of things. Right. You know, so like it's it's coming at it. I didn't have a rule book. I didn't go to film school. I didn't right. learn the tricks and the craft and you know all of that. So I I don't I don't have to throw it out because I, I come with it. So as we wrap up, what's one piece of advice you would give somebody about making their their online videos? Ask yourself why you're making it. Mm -hmm. Like why are you making it? Not and the how or the what, but the what. The why, why yeah. The why. Why are you making it and why should I care? Why should I care? I mm -hmm. like that. Okay, good advice. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to have you on today. Yeah. Looking forward to what we have coming up with She Angels and, and Live, Love, Thrive and, and everything else we're doing to help empower women. Thank you for being on yeah. the show. You Thank are you. a trailblazer, Jenner, <laughs> and an uh, amazing millennial, brilliant, and fun, and Aww. happy to have you here. Thank you. Okay, tune in with us next week, and make it a great week. Try out your new videos online with that <laughs> advice. Take care. Hugs and happiness.